Hello and welcome to tonight's edition of Resistance TV. This evening we're going to be talking about the prospects for socialism in the 21st century and I'm delighted to be joined by a veteran socialist, Dave Nellist, and many people will be familiar with Dave with his work in the Trade Union and Socialist Coalition. But Dave was first elected as the MP, Labour MP, for Coventry South East in 1983 and he represented that seat for nine years. And when he was first elected, he shared an office, believe it or not, with Tony Blair. But that relationship didn't last too long. You won't be surprised to know. Um, he was voted backbencher of the year by the Spectator magazine uh, in the year, I think it was, that he was expelled from the Labour Party. And he stood as an independent in his own constituency and got the support of his constituency Labour Party, actually, which was more than happened to me when I stood as an independent in the last election and came very, very close to actually retaining a seat. I think the majority that Labour achieved over Dave was something like 1,351, if memory serves me correctly. As I say, Dave helped to found the Trade Union and Socialist Coalition in 2010 and uh, attempted to actually rejoin the Labour Party after Jeremy Corbyn was elected in 2017. But uh, disgracefully, was like uh, so many other people actually uh, barred from joining the party. Uh, the constituency that Dave uh, used to represent is now represented by Zara Sultana, who is a socialist member of the campaign group in the House of Commons. So uh, uh, hopefully a worthy successor to Dave's uh, legacy. But I wanted to just begin because Dave's got a long record of campaigning for socialism uh, through his entire adult life, really. And I just thought it'd be interesting if we could maybe start, Dave, if you could say a little bit about the the struggles that you encountered uh, maybe just before, and particularly though when you were first elected in 1983, because at that election, we had a, uh, a fairly socially, when I say we, the Labour Party, as a member of the Labour Party then, as you were, uh, a fairly socialist programme under Michael Foote, and uh, Tony Benn was, was in his pomp, of course, but regrettably, Tony didn't get elected at that election. Had I think had he done so, then he would have gone on to become the leader of the Labour Party and the course of history would have been very different. Unfortunately, Labour members elected Neil Kinnock, who was the midwife to New Labour. So just tell us a little bit, uh, Dave, about your experiences as a Labour MP in those early days. And I guess there was quite a lot of hope that, uh, you know, socialism was on the rise. Certainly from my perspective, I felt it was after the 1979 defeat that, uh, you know, with the reforms that Tony Benn was pushing through, that, that Labour could genuinely become a vehicle to deliver uh, socialism. What do you think? Well, thanks for uh, inviting me, Chris. Um, pleased to uh, have this chat uh, with you. Yes, as you say, um, got first elected in, uh, in 83 until 92. Uh, I actually did another 14 years after that as a socialist councillor in uh, in Coventry because although the defeat took place, as you've mentioned, the uh, thin Labour majority of just over a 1,000, there was still sufficient of a socialist presence in Coventry to sustain uh, independent socialist councillors. There was three of us on there for quite a number of, uh, of years. And just to complete the story, you're right, uh, the, the, the Labour whips thought it was... Uh, uh, a bit of a joke to put the two youngest Labour MPs uh, in the same office together, which turned out to be me and Tony Blair. We, we lasted about four weeks, um, and then he went off and found a better office with a stone fireplace and so on with Gordon Brown, 
Um, and from there, New Labour was born. So if you want anybody to blame for pushing him in the direction of Gordon Brown, I suppose I, I get it. There was a left manifesto. There was loads of things in terms of public ownership of uh, restoring the balance um, for working people that was to be uh, supported. Um, in the years after the war, we, we, we'd had a period up to the mid-70s when I joined the Labour Party in the, in the 74 elections, um, where working people uh, could look forward to a better year. I can, I can remember my dad saying, you know, his, his aspiration for his three children was that they had a, a better life than, than he did. And that was a generation in the 50s and 60s where one skilled working class wage um, could buy you a house, um, a couple of weeks holiday and bring up a, up a family. I, I don't know any working class families now that can do that uh, in some cases on two wages. Um, so there was the aspiration of uh, life improving, which had been shaken in the 70s and the early 80s economically and then with the uh, election of Margaret Thatcher in, uh, in 79. And although Labour had a left-wing manifesto, the vote was split by the uh, right-wing split-off of the SDP. They got about seven, seven and a half million votes to Labour's eight and a half, if I remember uh, rightly. So Thatcher had a big majority. Um, and some of the battles then moved on to industrial plane, particularly, obviously, the miners in 84 to 85. And I think the first thing that, um, in a sense, contrasts between that period and now um, is I, I think that the left in Parliament uh, were more coherent. I think they were stronger. I mean, numerically, we got up to about 38, 39. So it, it might have been a roughly similar number to uh, to those today. I think we're physically stronger. I mean, I can remember in the middle of the miners' strike, Eric Effer leading us, I think I was second in the line, but 30 of us invaded the pitch in between the two halves of uh, the Commons when Norman Fowler, the Tory uh, Secretary of State for Social Security, was cutting uh, the benefits of the partners and children of striking miners by £18 a week in order to try and force the miners back to uh, to, to work. And, and we took our opposition, not just in speeches, but in disrupting uh, Parliament, and then went out on campaigns explaining why we were doing that and, and using Parliament as a platform, as a bridge into the, into the campaigns and so on. So I think we had a strong um, presence uh, uh, then, but as you say, the election of, of Neil Kinnock and his betrayal both of the miners and of the local authority struggles, particularly Liverpool and, uh, and Lambeth, yeah. um, meant that he was preparing the ground for what came in the 90s, which was the overt right-wing leadership of, of Tony Blair, who by that time was uh, heading for leader of the Labour Party. So I look back on it, um, you know, in terms of the struggles we were involved in on minimum wages, on unemployment redundancies, defence against privatisation and, and those things. Um, happy I was able to play uh, a role, but sad that we lost some of those battles because they became the basis on which further problems arose. Do you feel that members of parliament on the left had a, a stronger connection with, with grassroots? I'm just thinking really in terms of the witch hunt that we're encountering still now in the Labour Party, particularly intense it's calmed down a bit, but it is still ongoing. Uh, but it was particularly intense when Jeremy was the leader and I was one of the victims of the witch hunt. Uh, but there are many, many others as well. I mean, hundreds, thousands of grassroots members, some high profile individuals, including people like Ken Livingston, uh, Jackie Walker, Tony Kingston, Cyril Chilson, many of whom are, are Jewish. And not a, oh, well, I was the only MP, but not a single 
other member of the Socialist Campaign Group raised their head above the, the parapet to speak out against the witch hunt and in support for those people who are being despicably targeted, really, and accused effectively of being bigots and racists. And I was literally the only one who was prepared to stand in solidarity. How did that contrast? Because, you know, you were a victim of, of a different type of witch hunt. And um, there were many others who fell victim to that in the 1980s. I remember Eric Heffer walking out of the Labour Party conference in 1985. And I was at that conference. And uh, again, it was a disgraceful spectacle that, that Kinnock indulged in then and, and some of his, you know, his cohorts, etc. cetera, um, Blunkett and the rest of them. And um, I just wondered, you know, what, what, what level of solidarity did you encounter compared to the Socialist Campaign Group of today? Well, there's two answers. Firstly, there's the, the personal and the more general. Uh, my own expulsion um, was not an internal one in Coventry. There wasn't a single uh, affiliated organisation in Coventry which uh, called for my expulsion. In fact, there were only three individual members of a Labour Party of many, many hundreds strong um, who made statements to the investigative uh, procedures that uh, Labour Party put in place uh, in the middle of uh, 1991 um, to support my expulsion uh, and within um, I think about three years of my expulsion taking place two of those three were, were financially contributing to my campaigns to be an independent socialist council in Coventry so there wasn't a basis in Coventry. Uh, my expulsion in particular and on and, and a wider basis at that point of 89 to 91 was very much tied up with Labour's move to the right and preparation for the 92 election. And Neil Kinnock, um, not dissimilar to uh, Keir Starmer at the moment, uh, trying to prove uh, that Labour could be a safe pair of hands for the establishment if it were given the chance to come back into uh, office. And it particularly re revolved around the, the poll tax. Um, poll tax brought in in 89 in Scotland, 1990 in, uh, in England. Uh, there were about 30 of us in the campaign group initially pledged uh, not to pay the poll tax. Um, only one went the whole distance. That's the late Terry Fields from uh, Liverpool Broadbean, who served 58 days in Walton Prison uh, for refusing to pay the, uh, the poll tax. Um, and I was next. I mean, I've made statements at that time in the summer of 91 that in order to stop a single pensioner for my patch going to uh, Durham Maximum Security Prison for three months, they could tech me first. Um, and that's when uh, Roy Hattersley moved the motion at the National Executive uh, Committee in the late summer of uh, 91 for Terry's expulsion. Uh, and it was amended by Claire Short uh, to add my name. Uh, so the two of us were then uh, moved forward for, uh, for, for expulsion. Now, there's just two, th just two other facts from that. Firstly, particularly for younger viewers, um, that was the biggest civil disobedience campaign of the 20th century. The poll tax um, If I was to tell you that in the run-up to um, uh, April 1990, the average number of cases that went through the magistrates' courts in England and Wales was two million a year. That was everything from anything up to an, a, a six-month custodial uh, sentence, but it could be things like you know, not having paid a TV license as well as minor theft and stuff like that. Two million a year. Between April 1990 and September 1993, the number of cases that went through the magistrates' courts on top of that two million a year for refusal or inability to pay the poll tax was 25,016,000 wow. 
263. It's not only burned on my brain, I've actually got the documents that the House of Commons Library prepared me all along the way, um, confirming the figures from the, uh, the Home uh, uh, Office. And that's what sank Thatcher. So that bottom-up campaign of civil dis disobedience of millions of ordinary working people was able to shift the Prime Minister with a bigger majority than Boris Sir Johnson. Boris Johnson's no Margaret Thatcher by the, uh, the, the, the way, but it was able to, to do that. And instead of Labour riding that to, uh, to victory and supporting it, they expelled dozens, perhaps hundreds in that couple of year period of people associated with the, uh, the, the poll tax. And whilst they had, um, in April 1990, um, four days after the so-called riots of Trafalgar Square, where the whole coverage for a week of the media was how unruly and riotous the anti-poll tax people uh, were. Despite that, uh, at the end of that week, Labour had a 26-point lead in the opinion polls, and yet Kenneth managed to lose that election because he showed a split Labour Party and he was more concerned with attacking the left than attacking the, uh, the Tories. So that was my uh, experience of expulsion and the general political uh, main issue at the time, um, which was the, the poll tax. What I think has been the lesson of the last uh, couple of years is that uh, Jed, who, you know, I, I went into Parliament within 83 and did a lot of work within the 80s and considered, uh, consider, let's not make it past tense, consider a friend, um, was successful in making the Labour Party uh, more radical and having a radical manifesto. And in the summer of, of 2017, it was the biggest rise in Labour votes since Attlee, uh, at the end of the Second World War. Three and a half million people. And by the way, the extra three and a half million votes that Jed got in 2017, one million come from ex-UKIP voters, which just makes the point, you don't have to wrap yourself in the Union Jack to appeal to the class instincts of people who might have voted for a right-wing party in the, uh, in the past. But the next two years was all about the destabilisation of the Labour Party from internally. And we know the 851-page uh, document that got leaked uh, last year, which detailed the, 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 the vicious way in which paid officials were uh, 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 dealing with the internal life of the Labour Party, trying to make sure that Jed lost that election uh, in, uh, in December uh, 2019. Um, and, of course, the, 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 the overwhelming uh, attacks by the media and the... Uh, others to, to make the question of anti-Semitism um, uh, that which it was. And I agree with you, by the way, if I'm not paraphrasing you incorrectly, I think the Labour Party was too far on the back foot in uh, dealing with that issue right at the very uh, uh, beginning and allowing it to, uh, to fester. So in that sense, by not being as resolute as he should have been, Jeremy allowed the conditions to be created where the defining issue wasn't the radical socialism of 2017, it was the response or lack of response to the accusations of anti-Semitism. And then the individuals all get caught up uh, in that along the, uh, the way. So I do think there were differences in the, in the way in which those uh, witch hunts uh, were, were generated on both those periods. Indeed, there were, I guess, I mean, absolutely differences. But the, the point I was uh, asking about, though, Dave, was just in terms of the level of solidarity from members of parliament or who were on the left i mean did you get supportive um you know statements or um you know uh, representations made by members of uh, labor members of parliament or, or were you left on your own up until i was actually uh, um found guilty by the national constitutional uh, uh, committee uh, i think december um 
1991 and then formally expelled at the LEC in January 1992 up until the actual decision of the National Constitutional Committee. I had quite a number of campaign group members. Um, we held, for example, in the month before the final hearings of the uh, National Constitutional Committee uh, in Coventry, in, in, in just the one constituency, There's, there were then four constituencies in, in Coventry, mine was just one of them, in that uh, Coventry South East constituency, we held 10 public meetings, three days apart, um, in, in each uh, section of a ward, uh, there were four wards in the uh, constituency, so we had two or three meetings, you know, on, on this estate or that estate, and so on. And at each one of them, there was a campaign group uh, member uh, speaking, Bob Cryer, um, Harry Cohen, uh, Jeremy, um, Dennis Skinner, um, the, 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 the members then, we had a couple of uh, campaign group members who initially said yes and then pulled out just before the, uh, the meetings, but we, we, we managed you know, ten, 10 meetings in 30 days and they all had 50 or 60 people at each one of them. So the total attendance was, was several hundred people in the constituency heard from a campaign group uh, MP why the real reason for the witch hunt uh, was one of uh, making the Labour Party look safe for the establishment. I, I would add, uh, add, by the way, that once the uh, decision was taken uh, to, to begin that expulsion procedure, uh, and I think it was uh, August of uh, 2019, the day afterwards, the uh, Evening Standard had a double page spread with the photo of every campaign group member saying to Kinnock, now you've started on these two, here's the next 35 you should be going uh, uh, after. Making the point, as far as the establishment were uh, concerned, it wasn't the, the, the individual crimes, peccadillas of an individual, they wanted the left of the Labour Party exercising mm -hmm. so that the next uh, uh, government that came in was going to be a safer pair of hands for the establishment. Yeah. What I find really regrettable about all this is that, the, you know, people on the left, in Parliament, don't seem to have learnt from the light of experience, of that experience, of indeed, you know, years of the the more recent uh, witch hunt, and the failure to confront them and stand up for the reputation of the party, Jeremy's own reputation, ultimately led to his own demise. And now, of course, it's spread beyond the Labour Party, and whilst it's calmed down a wee bit in, in the party, we don't hear so much about it now, they're now going after academics like um, yeah. David Miller, and, uh, you know, this is a, a very worrying trend and a, a pernicious uh, trend that we absolutely have to do everything we can to resist. But I think you can trace it back to that failure inside the uh, Labour Party to to actually, you know, confront it and to, uh, uh, you know, resist and stand up for the party's uh, own reputation. I mean, it's ironic that, you know, some of the strongest anti-racist campaigners have, have been labelled racists themselves yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know it's uh well it's a, it's a shocking state of affairs but just in but terms I, just think, uh, I just think that one of the, the points to make there is that i mean you say about it going a bit quieter regretfully what we've got to also recognize uh, is the level of disillusionment amongst a lot of the activists in the yeah. uh, the labor party um between uh, april uh, i think it was the fourth last year when keir starmer was uh, announced as leader through to the national executive committee elections in november 57,000 people resign their membership from the, uh, the Labour oh, yeah. Party. And I think if you add in the ones who have not rejoined and paid this year's subs, it's probably double that number now. So one of the things, and it's part of our joint work in Tusk, uh, I, I think you would agree, is we've got to find a home 
for those people yes. who, who are inspired by Jeremy, are disillusioned by uh, Keir Starmer, and don't just drop out of political uh, activity. They're too important um, a political resource. I'm not being pejorative here, but they're too important a political resource just to let fade away. We've got to find a structure and a me means by which those people are kept into activity. And it's not just us that should do that. I mean, just, just think of this little scenario. If on that day in October, when um, Jeremy uh, was reinstated by the National Executive Committee, and remember, by the way, when he was suspended by the National Executive Committee, regretfully only 18 Labour MPs signed a letter of opposition yeah. to his suspension. Admittedly, 28 signed a letter welcoming him back uh, in October. Um, but then Keir Starmer immediately uh, uh, suspended from the Parliamentary Labour Party. What sort of impact would it have had if metaphorically, if not for pandemic reasons, uh, uh, literally, the whole campaign group had gone and sat around Jeremy on the benches of the House of Commons and said, if you're coming for him, you're coming for us as well and put a declaration of war down. Now, that would have been comparable. That would have been comparable to what a year earlier Boris Johnson had done to 21 former cabinet ministers, chancellors, secretary of states who didn't agree with his direction of, uh, 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 of Brexit. So he sacked them as, uh, as Tory MPs. If the socialist campaign group had stood with Jeremy at that particular point in that way, they could have re-inspired thousands of those people who subsequently left Labour Party. Not only that there was a fight on, but it was one worth getting involved in. Oh, yes. I mean, uh, Boris Johnson gave a masterclass, actually. I mean, uh, Jeremy should have uh, done a bit of that and, you know, dealt with his uh, malcontents in that way. I was urging that. And, and certainly there should have been solidarity from the socialist campaign group. I wasn't surprised because there was literally none for me. No, non -public, no public solidarity. There were a handful, and it was literally a handful, who offered private uh, words of condolence to me. But, but nobody was prepared to put their head above the parapet, as I was saying earlier. But what I'm just going to go on, though, to say is just in terms of, you know, the prospects for, for socialism in, in the 21st century, we, we, had that, we had that period of, uh, uh, of Tony Benn leading those reforms inside the Labour Party. Even the PLP at that time elected a, a relatively left-wing leader in the form of Michael Foote. We had a left, uh, leftish uh, manifesto in 1983, the year that you were elected. And... Um, you know, it dissipated. We saw what happened with the SDP and then the arrival of Neil Kinnock and the party drifting to the right. And then we've seen Jeremy and, and what's happened to, to him. I guess the two questions, really. One, is the Labour Party ever likely to be a vehicle to deliver um, progressive socialism in this country? And if it isn't, what are the prospects of actually building, a, you know, a genuine socialist alternative outside of the Labour Party? Do you think? Um, no, I, 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 well, like like you, I, I think we need a new vehicle. Um, I think the election of uh, Keir Starmer, um, the overt move to the right on policies, particularly the question of uh, uh, of. of you know, being friendly to, uh, to to business, which covers a, a multitude of uh, sins, not least the uh, the question of uh, uh, his attitude to corporation tax uh, uh, rises. He's, he's, he's in danger this week of being outflanked on the left by a right wing Tory uh, uh, Tory uh, Chancellor. Um, so the policies are, are moving, and of course 
you know, when the election took place um, 18 months ago, his candidacy was on continuity of Corbyn uh, policy. But there were probably uh, not just those of us watching here uh, tonight who thought that was uh, um, not a, a likely uh, position. But so the policies are moving to the uh, to, to, to the right. In fact, you know, the, the nearest it gets to criticism in, in recent months in the House of Commons at uh, Prime Minister's question time is to uh, say to Boris Johnson, I agree with the Prime Minister, but you should have done that three weeks ago. And it's the timing issue rather than the substance. Um, so, for example, there's no serious challenge from Labour for 100% of wages, not 80% and, and about to be less of a furlough scheme. Let's resurrect the 1930s flags of work or full pay, which ought to have been uh, Labour's uh, uh, demands. There's been uh, no sustained campaign from the Labour front bench on the question of uh, re-nationalisation of, uh, of the NHS, of putting uh, track, trace, isolating support into public health local uh, hands, of taking the circos and uh, the capitas of this uh, world out of um, the, the scheme of things when it comes to the, uh, to the, to the pandemic. And then there's the structural issues. Um, the National Executive Committee now is uh, supportive of, uh, of Keir Starmer. The uh, officials, such as the General Secretary, is a former Assistant General Secretary under Tony Blair, so we can t tell where his loyalties uh, lie. Unfortunately, uh, and this is a criticism of Jeremy and John, that they didn't give um, the same uh, organisational changes during the four and a half years they were in charge as they did in the radical political ideas they uh, raised. So the vast majority of the Parliamentary Labour Party remains as it was, uh, as is the same for local councillors up and down the country. So actually to have a challenge for Labour uh, 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 leadership now, as I understand it, requires 40 uh, Labour MPs. Um, even if there was a vacancy, and that normally only comes um, after a lost general election, so we could be talking about another you know, three uh, and a half years away, um, even if there was a vacancy, of the 18 who were prepared to support Jeremy when he was being suspended, if that's the bottom line of uh, the serious left in the uh, Parliamentary Labour Party, it didn't look like they'd get uh, a nomination on the uh, ballot paper this time uh, uh, round. And then there's the hemorrhaging of members, as I say, probably around the 100,000 uh, mark. So politically and structurally, um, at the very least for the short term, um, and it is arguable for the longer term as well. Um, I wouldn't be spending my time uh, in the Labour Party. I think the extent to which even good uh, activists at the most senior level in the Labour Party uh, can operate these days is they're in a prison uh, which Keir Starmer uh, has constructed and occasionally they'll be able to put, put a note through the bars saying there's still a couple of socialists in here, you know. Um, <laughs> but in terms of fundamentally working on the struggles of the uh, of the day, the vast majority of them won't be, and that's where we need to build. Um, we need to be building um, in and in support of all those affected by fire and rehire at the moment. Um, the Heartlands Hospital uh, porters, the Manchester uh, bus workers, British uh, gas, even scandalously, four thousand council workers in Labour Tower Hamlets. It always pains me to raise that one because a hundred years ago today, if you wanted a Liverpool of 100 years ago. It was the Poplar Council in London that stood up against the Liberal Tory coalition of the day on the question of local council uh, services and were prepared to go to prison and run their council 
from their jailer cells, led by George Lansbury, who later yeah. in the 1930s became the leader of the Labour Party. Um, and today, I don't see a single Labour council that's emulating Poplar or Claycross or Liverpool or uh, uh, Lambeth. Um, and if we don't have the structure that allows uh, debate and democracy in the Labour Party, and, and you've instanced in many of those who have been expelled and, and marginalised at the moment, if the trade unions themselves have been reduced, I mean, on financial terms, their contribution to Labour now is about 10% of the Labour uh, uh, budget. So when my union unite reduces uh, its support by 10%, or the CWU and the fire brigades threaten the same, it doesn't have a financial impact, and they don't have the same structures in conferences and democratic decision-making for their delegates to make a difference inside the, uh, the Labour Party, which is probably why the Bakers Union uh, just concluded uh, a survey of all its members about whether it should continue affiliating to the uh, Labour Party. And I think, if I understand correctly, only 9% of the respondents thought Labour was doing a good job for union uh, members. So the structures aren't there, the policies aren't there. The inspiration that Jeremy gave on policy is not there for union uh, uh, members. And we've got such big battles coming up. Council tax going up by 5%. Continuation of austerity with a quarter of a million local councils uh, jobs lost in the last 10 years. So that means libraries and community centres and nurseries and youth clubs. We need to fight not only to maintain the ones we've got, but particularly in the time of a pandemic when today I think the total spend by the Tory government has now uh, uh, projected to exceed £400 billion. There's no question that there isn't money available for public uh, uh, services. Where is the strong camp political campaigns for those services to be in, in, improved and, and, and enhanced? And I think we've got to start from something new. Now, in a sense, I'm saying that by uh, being part of a relaunch of something that's 11 years old. But Bob Crow um, held a couple of conferences in 2009, um, one at the beginning of the year, one at the end. I, I happened to speak at both of them on behalf of the Socialist Party. And at the first one, John McDonald spoke on behalf of the Labour left. And at the last one, Jeremy Corbyn spoke on behalf of the Labour left. And the debate Bob said is, there's a crisis in political representation for working people. What are we going to do about it? Uh, and the conclusion that Bob and the RMT drew, the transport union, the uh, rail union, the RMT, uh, was to launch Tusk in January uh, 2010 uh, to give uh, trade unionists, community campaigners and socialists a common vehicle um, with a set of core common policies uh, that we could stand at elections against the austerity that was uh, uh, running apace from the 2008-2009 um, re recession. Now, we got to the point in 2015 where we were the sixth biggest party in the country. As Michael Caine would have said, not a lot of people know that because we managed, I think, two interviews with uh, Andrew Neil in that year and one five-minute uh, uh, party political uh, broadcast. But we stood 135 parliamentary candidates and 619 council candidates. And then, of course, a few months later, Jeremy got elected as leader of the Labour Party and we recalibrated and said, look, there is a possibility now that socialism and support socialism can grow inside Labour when you've got a leader like Jeremy. Let's give it a, a chance. So we didn't stand in the elections, general elections of 2017 or 2019. But Jeremy, having been deposed, Keir Starmer being elected, all the other points that I uh, uh, made I won't uh, repeat, is a new era. The Corbyn era is over. Um, and we have to come to terms with that. And that's why we have uh, relaunched and are hoping to stand 
in dozens and dozens and dozens of towns, cities and counties in the elections uh, on May the 6th uh, for the Welsh Synod, for the Scottish Parliament, um, and try at least um, put an initial uh, point, a marker down for anti-austerity and pro-socialist alternative. Now, mm. we're not overly prescriptive about this. Um, we've got just eight points on our uh, website that were endorsed uh, at a meeting that Chris and I were both at uh, uh, a couple of weeks uh, uh, or 10 days or so ago, no, two weeks ago, um, which are the core things like opposition to austerity, opposition to privatisation, bringing things back in house on the, on councils, uh, public ownership to enable uh, the planning of uh, uh, society's resources to be better made for ordinary uh, working uh, people, opposition to racism and, and, and other uh, similar basic things. And then anybody who uh, becomes a candidate, and I hope if you're watching tonight and you're interested, you look on the Tusk website, tusk.org.uk, uh, where all the materials there to decide if you'd like to become a candidate, application forms and policies and, uh, and, and so on. We don't then stop any organisation such as Resist or the Socialist Party or uh, anyone else who's affiliated or an individual member of Tusk from adding on to that core policy the things that they feel ought to be raised in front of working people, either locally about the swimming pool and a, and a library, what have you, or more generally about their view of socialism. And I think that's the initial step that we can make, is bringing people together, core platform that includes people, doesn't exclude uh, people, and, and starting off with these elections May the 6th. I'll just make one last point, because I realise it's been a long answer. But the thing that would be a game-changer today was if we had another Bob Crow. Mm. If, as in 2009, Bob brought together a few hundred leading trade union and socialist activists in the Friends Meeting House in uh, London on a couple of occasions to debate this issue, the left-led unions, about half a dozen of them you'd say were the left-led uh, unions, were to call a conference and invite socialists inside and outside uh, the Labour Party to participate in debating how should we move uh, forward, I think that would literally be a game changer. Tusk isn't precious. We don't think, you know, arithmetically we're going to grow on a one-by-one -one basis to become the replacement for the Labour Party in the next few months or next few years. That's a job for the mass organisations like the trade unions to come to, uh, to grips with. But along the way, we can be uh, uh, an organisation that is a catalyst, uh, that raises the argument, that challenges where battles are taking uh, place, whilst all at the same time saying, the unions have to get to grips with the fact they've lost their political voice and have to build a new one. Yeah. I mean, we've got a number of people who are still in the Labour Party who have joined uh, the Resist Movement for a People's Party. Of course, we're not a political party yet. Uh, I think, I mean, I'd love to see the sort of conference that you're talking about there, Dave. I doubt it will happen. Well, no, let's put it another way. I doubt that we would get senior Labour Party figures participating because I think they would be fearful that they would be suspended from the party if they did. But frankly, they should, because in my view, the Labour Party, there's no future for the Labour Party. But I just want to move on a bit, just in terms of the main theme of our conversation tonight about the prospects of socialism in the 21st century. Looking at opinion polls, it seems there's a lot of support for socialist ideas in Britain, uh, across Europe, really. But it seems, notwithstanding the... Hopefully, it isn't an aberration with the, the Jeremy Corbyn era. Um, 
the socialism has been on the retreat um, in this country and across your certainly social social democracy anyway. Um, we saw Syriza in Greece and uh, Camus in Spain making a, a bit of a, a difference uh, in, in terms of you know changing that uh, that 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 sort of course of uh, you know that trajectory. But in Latin America, uh, you know, socialists seem to be making a lot more progress. I mean, Bolivia, the most notable example recently, but there are others. Uh, do you think there are lessons that we can learn from the movement towards socialism, for example, in Bolivia that we could maybe apply in this country? Yes and no. I think the determination um, and the uh, building up of strong communities and other similar uh, points uh, are obviously things we can learn from, even though I might have 101 disagreements with the uh, uh, the trajectory, particularly in the, the, the last few decades of Cuba. You can't get away from the fact that if you have an alternative to overt neoliberal capitalism, there's all sorts of things you can do. I mean, 95% of the world's in recession at the moment. The one bit that isn't is China. Now, I've got, again, loads of criticisms with human rights and, and, and the lack of democracy in, in China. But if you have state control of investment, of, the, of, of industry, of the health services and so on, you can turn things around in a way that not only very few people have died in, uh, in China, but it's the one economy in the, in, in the world which has gone through a, a relatively sharp V shape and out the other other side whilst britain you know in the last 12 months has had the worst economic downfall for 300 uh, years um so there are things that can learn but then then of course there are differences uh, in terms of the uh, proportion of the the population that you would call uh, you know working class industrial working class unionized and so on there are different types of struggles that take place which is why in the british context um, you know, I restate the point I made a, a few minutes ago that I think if we're going to get a new political voice for working people, it has to be rooted in the organisations and the communities of the working class. And we can't sidestep the role of the trade union uh, uh, movement. It's why I hope we're successful in the next uh, year or two of building Tusk supporters groups in all those affiliated unions, if at the very least to give um, some support to senior figures who might think, as you say, uh, might be worried about um, making statements of, su of support. By the way, I'm, I must put down on the record that you know, the latest person that's joined us on the Tusk Steering Committee is the current president of, uh, of USDOR, uh, Amy Murphy, who, um, you know, USDOR is the fourth largest affiliate to the Labour Party. Um, Amy isn't a Labour Party uh, member, which is how she won't face the problem that you're uh, raising. Um, but we're starting to get that support for the trade union movement and uh, candidates coming forward from a, a national level in, in unison, in the Bakers Union and others. Candidates have been approved in, in recent uh, recent days. So um, apologies if it's a bit of a waffle the answer. I take inspiration from a lot of the uh, challenges to uh, neoliberalism, which uh, in the case of Latin America um, has gone literally hand in glove with a bloody military for many uh, of, of the decades uh, during which those uh, fights have, have taken uh, uh, place. Um, but we also have to learn uh, the lessons, I think, in, particularly in, in the case, for example, uh, of, of Chile in the 1970s, uh, is if once you start a serious battle of taking on um, powerful capitalist forces in a, in, a, in a country, you have to be prepared to go the whole way um, otherwise, um, to use a, an old aphorism, weakness 
uh, invites aggression. In the case of Chile, um, taking a quarter or a third of the uh, economy into public ownership and with all the radical policies that uh, uh, President uh, Allende uh, put, to, put forward, it still left the majority of the economy in, in private hands that was able to sabotage the workings of the economy and then work hand in glove with the CIA and the Americans to brutally uh, uh, yeah. murder thousands of those uh, uh, activists. And we have seen in other Latin American uh, countries when there's been a swing over from uh, a progressive period to uh, a darker uh, period, how many thousands of lives have, uh, have lost. So I take inspiration uh, and we all have to try and learn the lessons of, of what works well and, and where there are, are problems. Uh, in our case, we're in a different economic um, period uh, in, in, in Europe and in, uh, in, in Britain. We've seen right-wing populism, the Farage and the Trumps and, uh, and so on, but they don't have, at least in um, uh, British terms, longer conversation in one or two European countries and, and in America, but they don't have uh, uh, significant roots within uh, in, in, in society. Farage is not uh, you know, uh, uh, a 1930s style um, right-wing populist moving over to be uh, a fascist uh, leader. We still have strong uh, trade unions. It's not that we don't have the instruments for change. It's that we don't have people necessarily confident to use the power that exists in those organisations to yeah. make the, uh, the, uh, the change. And that's you know, a couple of the points I would draw from that. No, indeed. And of course, what did Richard Nixon say about uh, Cuba? He said, we're going to make the economy scream. And uh, those sort of tactics have been applied to, to, to Venezuela and, and other Latin American, and indeed, not just Latin America, but other countries around the around the world. But one of the other things that, uh, one of the lessons I think we ought to take, and what they've been very successful in Latin America at doing, is uniting the left. I mean, in Venezuela, you know, and uh, and in uh, and in Bolivia and, and, and other Latin American countries, you know, they brought the left groupings together. Now that's been our failing, hasn't it? I mean, okay, we have the Labour Party, uh, the Broad Church, and that, but the left outside the Labour Party has never seemed to be able to kind of work together effectively enough to to mount an effective challenge. Do you think that's something? Now, given the experience of what we've seen with Jeremy Corbyn, and you know, the left did we thought gain control of the party, although we didn't, but we got the leadership and we had a left manifesto and all the rest of it. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people thought that the job was done. And it turns out that the, the left never controlled the Labour Party, even when Jeremy was a leader. Do you think now having had that salutary experience that there's more prospect of, of bringing the left together outside the Labour Party and enticing those who are still in the Labour Party to, to join us in a genuine left socialist project to offer a real challenge to the neoliberal status quo, which both of the mainstream political parties have signed up to. There have been a number of attempts, you're, you're, you're right. Um, I was probably most closely uh, associated with the, uh, um, the, the, the one in the late 1990s, the Socialist Alliance, which uh, just for a little bit of, um, of, of, uh, of history, um, uh, built up to... Uh, active groups in probably two or three dozen uh, towns and cities by 2001-ish, but actually started um, in 1992 in Coventry. Um, not only was I expelled, but my neighbour John Hughes um, was also uh, prevented from standing again as a Labour MP. Um, and uh, as part of the uh, expulsions, uh, part of my expulsion, uh, 127 people were uh, expelled from the Labour Party in the two constituencies and they got together 
to form a socialist alliance to keep going and then it spread and particularly obviously when tony blair became a leader in the, in the mid 90s um it, it spread more but the socialist alliance um that was uh, as i say an early uh, attempt in the modern era uh, left unity respect there's been other projects and i think one of the things is that it's almost been the wrong way around it's been let's have unity and we'll talk about what we're going to do with it later in other words we'll talk about what the program and the aims are after we've got unity and, and that starts off with people not on a common same bit of paper um the thing about tusk is that um we've started off and have maintained all the way through our lecture with a, a for some people a relatively limited uh, agenda of eight points and, and we've we've tried not to go beyond that uh, uh, eight points at least in in England, I unfortunately have to report that if you look at the manifestos for Scotland and Wales, they've added one or two on in their own local uh, uh, jurisdictions. But anyway, in England, we have the eight points. Um, and, and if you can establish a bit of unity on the things that you all demonstrably agree with, and then if you have a structure that allows debate and discussion without splits on the bits that you don't agree with, in better times, it would be perhaps uh, over a pint down the pub rather than uh, in a splitting uh, uh, meeting, then I think you, you're on stronger ground. So we have the common basic core uh, agenda that we stand in elections on. We have a federal structure so that affiliated organisations are represented on a national steering committee. And then with consensus, we invite um, leading trade union figures. And in the past, there's been some uh, 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 labour, ex-labour rather, uh, councillors who've been uh, re-elected as independents and so on have sat on the uh, the steering committee and then we have a structure for individual members who are not parts of either resist or the socialist party who have their own representative on the steering committee and each one of those has a veto in other words consensus is so baked into the structure of uh, tusk that we cannot go further than we can take everybody on now inevitably that makes it slower uh, because you're, you're, you're working, um, and this is no disrespect to anybody, but you're working at the pace of the slowest mover on your you know, speed for socialism and so on. But I think um, it's held us better together uh, in that last uh, uh, decade and hopefully will do in the, in, in the future. But we have to get more than the RMT affiliated yeah. at uh, yeah. the, the trade union. Just, because... before in, just before I bring in Sean, though, uh, uh, we're yeah, sure. time now. Do you think that experience of, within the Labour Party will make it easier now to build an alternative or is it just going to be as difficult? What, what's your thoughts on that? And then we'll bring in Sean to get our viewers' thoughts on what they've heard this evening. No, I'm, I'm, for those who've gone through it, hopefully th th there are lessons which can be, uh, can be drawn, um, such as, for example, the, um, uh, the, the response which could have been a lot stronger. Um, from from Jeremy and from from John, I think they were more concerned with uh, compromise with other forces in the Labour Party rather than uh, creating an organisational structure that would would have matched their aspirations for socialist uh, policy. So if people come out with the, the idea that you know we have to build something that's far more robust in 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 fighting for for social uh, uh, change, that would be um, uh, useful. Um, but as I say, our experience is one which I'm quite happy to, uh, to to sell anybody who's to sell to anybody who's interested is that the federal approach, the core program, the freedom for discussion 
um, to move at that slightly slower pace, I think is a better way of rebuilding a new left in Britain, but for it to actually wield authority um, and be seen as viable, it has to be much, much bigger. Um, you know, we have to be talking about probably uh, thousands rather than hundreds of candidates. I think we might be, you know, halfway towards what we did in 2015 over the next uh, 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 few weeks. We have to be a lot bigger than that. And the place where we will build that is in the large communities of the working class and the large organisations of the working class. Yeah, great. Let's bring in Sean now, then, then the last sort of uh, 10 12 minutes, get the reaction from our viewers this evening. Over to you, Sean. Good evening, everyone. Lovely chat this evening. Lots of socialists in the chat from both Tusk and Resist. So it's lovely to meet some Tusk um, candidates and colleagues as well. Um, welcome to the channel. Please do subscribe, hit the notification bell and hit that uh, like button so it, it makes our video more available to people on YouTube. Um, first of all, we're going to go to Mark Anderson. Um, he has a question for Dave, and he says, what does Dave think is the most effective way of fighting back against another round of austerity? Thanks for your question, Mark. Um, I go with the old uh, slogan, just say no. Um, what we need um, is uh, a reversal of austerity, and certainly what we need is councillors who will refuse to uh, vote for austerity. When the last, I haven't completely got my brain around uh, today's uh, budget before tonight's programme, but the last budget in, in November, the Tory-led leaders of the Local Government Association estimated out of the 15 billion a year now, they're down on what they were 10 years ago, they needed 8.7 billion from Rishi Sunak to maintain core non-pandemic uh, uh, non, uh, related uh, services, core services in the local authorities of the country. They got 2.2 billion. Well, they didn't get 2.2 billion. Uh, Rishi Sunak said they could spend 2.2 billion as long as they raised three quarters of that themselves by putting a council tax up by uh, 5%. I've not heard the Labour Party nationally or councillors uh, locally um, saying that they're not prepared to do that. I think most uh, Labour councillors have put it up between 4 and, and, and 5%. Uh, 30, or 30 of the 36 county councils have talked about uh, probable mental health cuts in the next uh, 12 months. Only one of those 36 county councils said they can get through the next financial year without severe uh, uh, cuts. So we urgently need pressure on local uh, authorities from community groups, from local trade unions and our companies through the elections as, uh, as, as, as well. Uh, it's fundamental. It's to demand the restoration of the essential funding to local services, which have been stolen by the Tories and by the coalition previously over the last 10 years. I think that um, brings us very nicely onto Catherine's question now. She asks, what is the best approach to force a council cabinet and then government to provide more money to, social, to, to councils for social policies? There's two answers. It, it can be local, it can be national. Um, you know, councils with sustained campaigns against the closure of another library or swimming pool or for an essential local services, um, you can win those uh, uh, battles. There, are, there have been, uh, particularly in the health service over hospital closures, there have been some very successful community-led uh, uh, campaigns. And where those uh, are in existence, by the way, um, I'm in favour of Tusk approaching those community campaigns and saying, can we work together? Would one of your members like to raise 
in the council chamber, the arguments you've been making outside the council chamber about your particular service and so on, um, being better funded and uh, being uh, uh, developed. Um, and I would particularly like to do that if there were elections this year in Tower Hamlets, there aren't in the boroughs of London uh, uh, this year. I'd go to the families of those 4,000 council workers who are having their uh, fire and rehire their jobs, being sacked and rehired on worse terms and conditions and say there should be a family member uh, in every council uh, uh, seat in Tower Hamlets standing on behalf of the council workforce against these austerity uh, uh, cuts nationally. Um, this is a weak government. I mean, it's done, I think, 23, 24 U-turns in the past 18 uh, months. One of the biggest was in April of last year when the, uh, the government um, announced a uh, £14.5 billion, pounds, sorry, £13.5 billion pounds write-off of historic NHS debt in order to make the balance uh, uh, sheets of trusts up and down the country a little bit more uh, 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 amenable. Now, that's not too far off the 15 billion that local authorities have uh, lost over the last 10 uh, uh, years. If the unions and political forces were allied on the same piece of paper, on the same path, I think they could be running big campaigns to demand that local services be better funded to the extent of restoration of the 10 years that we've uh, 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 lost. But that would need a sea change in the way in which the big unions um, are operating at the moment. Yeah, Jonathan Cooper said, um, Dave, how do you think the left should build support, supportive media and get the word out about the alternative we're offering while avoiding talking to ourselves? Oh, <laughs> well, you're here tonight at one of the examples of how we can do that. Um, you know, if we can develop uh, greater audiences for socialist uh, uh output and outlets um, by different parts of uh, of, of social uh, uh, media, then we, we can raise and, and reach a wider uh, uh, audience. It doesn't have to be just uh, talking to uh, uh, ourselves. I, I can't think that, you know, I, I don't know how many Twitter followers uh, Chris has got at the moment, but I know it's into, I think it's into six figures. Um, I can't believe everyone is a died-in-the-wool socialist. It's, it's something that Chris has said, some criticism he's made, some thing he's supported some proposal he's made that's chimed with somebody and they're new in the uh, in, in the arena uh, we, we need to do that all of us who've got access to the various uh, uh, arms I, I try to do a bit on twitter and, uh, and and facebook i'm still learning about things like instagram and and i haven't done a dance on tiktok yet but there's time for everything i suppose um we should be using all those uh, uh, outlets um if we were able, then, then you know, the unions and others should come together and have uh, even, even more traditional sorts of media. You know, we, we've tried in the past with newspapers and, uh, and, and so on. But I, I think the key to all these things is that if you have fight and if you have struggle and then you've got something to report to people, it's worth getting involved in making a change in the, uh, in the world. Um, then I think they're more likely then to follow, whether it's social media, read a newspaper, come to a meeting, if they think there's a chance of, uh, of winning. So it all comes back to the basics about building a combative socialist organisation. Um, and in our terms, we're doing it through Tusk and the elections and, uh, and, and, and so on, um, that can inspire people to get involved. And I think then the, the, the media aspect will, will flow uh, along with that. 
Um, Dave, people are quite interested to find out more about Tusk and um, how many candidates are you planning on standing um, in the local elections in May? And do you think it will make a difference to local politics? Well, sharp sense me how many people are watching here tonight who haven't yet signed up to be a candidate that'll tell you how many extra we would we would like uh, we, we we stood 619 in 2015 that was a high point we'd had five years to develop um we then recalibrated because jeremy got elected leader as i explained earlier on we, we've probably only had about five months uh, this time with the the relaunch um i would be extremely pleased if we got to about half that number on this first time out uh, in absolute terms, we have 103 that were approved uh, a couple of weeks ago at a meeting that uh, Chris and I uh, were at. Uh, I suspect uh, there is already in train at least that same number again. Um, and we've got 10 or a dozen more launch meetings that are up on our website, tusk.org.uk, uh, under the events uh, uh, page, uh, in all sorts of parts of the, uh, the country um, that, that Chris is speaking at a number of them. Uh, in the next uh, two weeks. Um, so we may go beyond that. Two to three hundred may be possible. Um, but if everybody who's listening tonight um, would like uh, to find out more, we have an application form on the website. We have the policies, which are the base that we ask everybody to accept when they sign up. And we have a comprehensive guide for candidates and agents that explains all the technical bits that you need to know about in standing as a candidate. It's better if you stand as part of an organisation, bringing along uh, people from your community, from your union, uh, from an, another uh, a group, a political uh, um, a party. But people can stand, as we have already, uh, some independents who are standing, but they're standing as socialist independents. See, the trouble is, if you stand as an independent in the British electoral system, uh, you're probably thought of as a disgruntled Tory, because that's where, in the, in the rural areas, most independents seem to be. Um, people can't get on with the uh, hierarchy of the, of the Tory uh, uh, party. You need to have a label. And the advantage of, of Tusk is that our label that goes on the ballot uh, paper opposes cuts. And if anybody comes in and not quite sure who or what you are, they can see you're an anti-cuts uh, uh, party. And that's an important uh, um, bit of information to get uh, out. So uh, I don't know the exact number. It's 103 as of a fortnight ago. I suspect it'd be at least double that, hopefully uh, more. I would welcome any individual trade unionist, community campaigner or socialist who's either a member of a local uh, group or a political party or an independent who thinks they'd like to stand for the uh, Tusk to have a look on the website and get in touch with, uh, uh, with this. We'd like to have as many candidates as we possibly can. Sean, we've got time for one more brief question and then we'll call it a night. Yeah, that's fine. I was uh, just coming to my final one anyway. Um, just on that point, Dave, how can we find out where Tusk will be standing their candidates? Because I'm sure there's a lot of our members throughout the country now who will be wanting to help get out the campaign for them. That'd be great. And, and we also hope quite a few would like to stand as well, uh, because that would uh, broaden our uh, uh, appeal uh, uh, and we'd appreciate uh, that. It's the website. Um, if you go to www.tusk.org.uk, I'd have to say about Tusk, by the way, when we started it 10 years ago, if you'd gone onto Google and put in the words Tusk, you'd have come up with the Taunton Ukulele Strummers Club. Uh, well, we've, we've now exceeded the uh, ukulele strummers in Taunton, and we do come up top of your Google search uh, lists. Um, and on there, we've just announced yesterday, uh, we've printed all the... Uh, 
areas and the names of the candidates for all the challenges. So there are three regional lists, I think it's Central, East and West from memory, uh, in Wales for the Senate elections. Um, separately, there will be candidates in Scotland. Uh, in the uh, English uh, councils, there are, I think, 39 councils so far where we've got uh, at least a candidate and some we've got multiples. Last Wednesday, not on that list yet, but last Wednesday in Plymouth, there were 14 candidates selected at their launch meeting in, uh, in, in, uh, in Plymouth. Uh, we've got, I think, one candidate so far in the GLA assembly elections, but I think there's more to come uh, uh, there. So you can see there's a printed uh, a list of the first 103. Um, the closing date for applications is March the 14th. So that's only 10 days uh, uh, away. But the form itself to apply um, isn't a particularly onerous one. Um, and after that, there is still time up to, I think, April the 8th for your application to be made legally and locally to the elections manager or the returning officer of the local uh, council. So go on the website, you'll see those who've been selected so far. You'll see that they're from a wide range of, uh, of unions. The, the most so far, we've got about 30, nearly 40 candidates from Unite. I think we've got about 25 from Unison, a whole range of different uh, unions. You'll see the areas, you'll see the councils. And if there's a gap, why not stand yourself? As Mahatma Gandhi once said, be the change you want to see in the world. Absolutely. Look, thanks very much. Thank you, Sean. And thank you, everybody, for watching this evening. Particular thanks to Dave Nallis. Really interesting discussion. Hopefully it's inspired people to get involved and maybe even stand for election in these upcoming council elections in May. Thank you for watching this evening. Next week, we're going to be discussing local government. We touched on that a little bit this evening. But what can we actually achieve in local government? And uh, that will be something we'll be examining uh, next week. So please join us then. Same time, same place, seven o'clock on Wednesday. Look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for watching and good night. Thank you.